You wrote a bad spoiler warning, Petey. Now give it here. The following podcast contains spoilers for the movie Fantastic Mr. Fox. You have been warned. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends compete to improve films' most dastardly schemes. I'm your host, Craig, and this week's movie is 2009's Fantastic Mr. Fox. So, dodge the grabbers, duck the taggers, jump the twig basket, and let's get diabolical. Hotbox! Welcome to the first Diabolical of 2023. Happy New Year, everyone. As host for this week, I'm chairing the panel of peril, who will compete against me at the close of the show to come up with the best alternative plan for the movie villain of the week, before we vote to name this week's most Diabolical. When I say your name, please respond with your Latin name and special skill. For example, I'm Craig. Latin name. Bubo Virginianus Domesticus. Special skill, perfect tea and toast every time. And I'm joined by Lord Manly Supreme. Hello, I'm Lord Manly Supreme, and my Latin name is Procorus Ambustus, and my special skill is avoiding velvet. (laughs) Gaz. My Latin name is Gazicus Anus, and my special skill is putting work off to the last minute so that I get really, really stressed about having to finish it on time. <laughs> you should have called yourself <laughs> Procrastinus Maximus then. <laughs> Procrastinus. <laughs> Turner. Hello, I'm Adam, and my Latin name is Turdus Maximus, and my special power is crushing all those that oppose me. Nice. I forgot to write down what Bubo Virginianus is, so I can't remember what animal that is, but that's a real animal. My Mine is a real animal as well. Turdus Maximus is the greater thrush. Oh. <laughs> mine is not a real animal. Mine means leader of the dance. What, what's the difference between Turner and Thrush? Nothing. They're both irritating cunts. Dance, dance, wherever you may be. I am the lord of the dance at he. I'll lead you all wherever you may be. And I'll lead you all See? in the dance at he. Did I lie? No <laughs> lies detected. <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox is, of course, based on the beloved book by Roald Dahl. So we can get to know each other a bit better, please share with us, other than Fantastic Mr. Fox, what is your favourite film or television adaptation of a Roald Dahl story? Adam? Well, I'm suspecting I won't be the only one who picks this, but it has to be 1990 The Witches, uh, which is produced by Jim Henson. It's dark, it's scary, it's got loads of endlessly quotable stuff that I still talk about now. Mm. What The Witches work with, Ben? Spoons. (laughs) Spoons. <laughs> Sorry, what the witches work with Lord Manly Supreme? Witches work only if it's magic. <laughs> the child is no longer a child. The child is a mouse. <laughs> uh, thanks to these two idiots, I cannot walk through a supermarket without telling somebody that I do not like cockaliki. I like Chris. <laughs> Gareth. I don't really have one, to be honest. No. Similar thing to um, thing about Moonraker that I didn't really watch many films when I was younger. My my filmic references when I was young are Ghostbusters and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And we've established Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. yeah, that came a bit later. I don't think I've seen Witches the whole way through, and I probably couldn't name another adaptation, to be honest, apart from the BFG. So I guess by process of elimination, I'll just say the BFG. Steven Spielberg's one, even though it's not very good. Interesting. Maybe I'll come back to you, Gareth, and after we find out what Lord Manly Supreme's favourite Roald Dahl adaptation is. Mine is the same as Turner's. It's The Witches. I absolutely love it. But a close second, and it's neither TV nor film, is the uh, Matilda musical that I saw in London. It was Tim Mitchin. Yeah. Now adapted for the screen. Yeah, I haven't got around to watching it, but it is on the list. Hmm. Well... I've got to say, I'm surprised that nobody said 
Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I was sure somebody. Yeah, would. it's a close second, but the witch is is uh, just that little bit darker, and I I like the darkness in the in the Roald yeah. Dahl novels, and the the adaptation for that is is superb. But yeah, Gene Wilder, absolutely incredible, and it's just a brilliant movie as well. Yeah. As for me, my favourite screen adaptation of a Roald Dahl story after Fantastic Mr Fox is 1996's Matilda, produced by and starring Daniel DeVito. Time now to delve into this week's film and its year of release. In world events of 2009, Russia cuts off gas supplies to Europe via Ukraine. Wait, what year is this? Okay, that's right. <laughs> the World Health Organization declares a global pandemic... Hang on. Is this... No, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's swine flu. Yeah. <laughs> and paleontologists announced the discovery of Ardipithecus ramidus, the oldest fossilised remains of a human ancestor yet found. Its special skill was increased monogamy and parental care. 2009's Fantastic Mr. Fox explores these themes, which recur throughout the oeuvre of director Wes Anderson, building upon and expanding Roald Dahl's story inspired partly by unused ideas for the supermarket-based ending from his original manuscript. The stop-motion animated film uses, among other things, meticulous set design, lighting and forced perspective to perfectly realise the doll's house aesthetic to which Anderson's work had been building, and the screenplay is full of Anderson's trademark warmth and whimsy, performed with authenticity by a perfect cast of megastars and relative unknowns. The film on release was critically praised but underwhelmed at the box office, alongside gorgeous Studio Ghibli animation Ponyo. Better performing animated and children's features that year included fellow book adapt for grown-up kids Spike Jones's Where the Wild Things Are, Astro Boy, Coraline, Alvin and the Chipmunks' The Squeakquel, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, Ice Age Dawn of the Dinosaurs, Monsters vs. Aliens, Pixar's Up, and the re-release of Toy Story. But what did you make of Fantastic Mr. Fox, Lord Manley? It's just a great film. The source material is fantastic. There's <clears throat> a laugh there, guys. <laughs> Apparently. Thank you. I see. I see. <laughs> the, the, the source material is just, is, just, is just great anyway. And then when you couple that with Wes Anderson's sensibilities, you just get something that's so fun and the perfect antidote to everything else that's going on in the world just takes you away into this kind of fantasy world. It's great. Yeah, I think it, it might be my favourite film of his. It's kind of peak Wes Anderson. It's the control it gave him to make the kind of film that he wants to make, I think works really well. Yeah. I say the source material blends really well with the kind of thing that he does. Yeah. Which you might not think of any sort of children's book after you've seen the, the first few of his films, but yeah, for me it really works. Uh, yeah. What about you, Gaz? What do you think? Yeah, it's good. I think I prefer on uh, Isle of Dogs on balance. Mm. I think it's stretched a bit thin for me. The The story, it's basically just a series of very small heists, one after the other, mm. held together by quite a big theme, I suppose, with Foxy uh, trying to sort of accept his responsibilities in life and not be want to be the, the lone wolf that he sees at the end. Yeah. It's very good. I, I just, I think maybe... 60 minutes is probably a better runtime for it, personally. Maybe. Theme is kind of king with Wes Anderson, right? Mm. So a lot of his movies are not plot-heavy, and they're like a series of vignettes. I think that's been displayed very overtly with The French Dispatch. Yeah. I don't think he cares a lot about plot, and he's more interested in character and family dynamics. Mm. And actually, the book is a very short book right. anyway. Mm. Yeah. So you're never going to get like a a full kind of 90 minutes out of the book itself, which is why he's taken liberties. The ending is actually all this like stuff from the motorcycle and, and, and all that kind of stuff that what getting washed away by side is all specific to the film. It doesn't actually happen in the book. So that's where you get the extra time. Yeah. The book ends with his toast. Yeah. I think that's great though, because that, that ending for the book does feel a bit in the film. When you get to that point, yeah. you feel like he hasn't really learned anything, Yeah, but then the film goes, okay, He's going to learn his lesson now. Yeah. And it takes that extra step to make it more satisfying. Yeah. I thought pacing wise, it just 
bounced along and straight away for me I thought of my little boy and I thought I'm going to get him to watch it when we go home I'm sure he'll love it because it's got that silly sort of slapstick kind of humour and it's it's quick I think it keeps you pretty interested most of the time I kind of agree with what Gaz says I think it could have probably been a little bit shorter for me but I think for kids it's a good length for them and I can I can imagine Eli watching it over and over and over again but again it's the details for me, the whole film was visualised according to like the original artist that did the book for Old Dog, which is, uh, I think, Donald Chaffin. Yeah. And it was stylized on his illustrations and then finding out that Wes Anderson has been a fan of the book since he was a kid mm. uh, and he's still got the very same book he had as a kid. Basically, you can imagine being that kid, getting that book and thinking, I'd love to make this a film one day and him actually getting it to do it as well and he does it and you can see he's just gone I'm going to take the book put it onto the big screen and transfer all that love he has for it himself yeah and do it it. and it's unbelievable and that was the and that was the big thing for me it was it's just the attention and care and enthusiasm and all the the little things for the production and stuff it's unbelievable um and and that again it it amplifies the impact it had on me Mm. because i did enjoy it but then when i realized how much of a fan was anderson was of roald dahl i just like wow this is a this is probably his uh magnus opus isn't it really yeah it's funny because um apparently the director of photography wasn't massively keen on wes anderson's working process on this <laughs> he directed it from home when he was living in paris yeah he directed it via email quite a lot of it <laughs> but his stamp is all over it so he must have just yeah trusted his meticulous kind of storyboarding and at one time he had like I think it was 28 or 29 different production units working at one single time. Yeah. I was like, how the hell is he doing that? And then I was reading about, he wasn't just getting the actors to record in a sound booth or in a studio. Mm. He was getting him to record in open spaces. Yeah. Uh, I think he would get him to record in a tunnel at one point. This is a man going to lengths because he's obviously hearing all this stuff in his head and going, this is how we must do it to recreate what I want. And yeah, yeah, fantastic attention to detail. Yeah, there is some footage out there of the cast, especially Clooney recording in outdoor spaces. Mm. And uh, one of the scenes, the audio was ruined by a, a boat in the background. <laughs> so they added a, an aeroplane to the stop motion animation so that it, they didn't have to replace the audio, <laughs> which I think is really cool. Because oh, I just love that take so much. That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, I like that. I've got to say, um, when I first started, this is, the, this is the first time I watched it, and when I first started watching, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't take to George Clooney straight away as the fox, but then he kind of grew on me after I got into the character a little bit, and I thought, no, he's, he's played it really well, actually. I love the intro, how, how they introduce him. It's just him and uh, Mrs. Fox. Yeah. They lay it right out from the start. There's two options and she says, let's take this one, it's safer. And he goes, well, this one yeah. is a little bit shorter, <laughs> dangerous way. And then you just know right from the start that this is his mm. character and you, yeah. you're right in with it. It's great. Yeah, no, that that is, that is brilliant economy of uh, exposition. Because, yeah, like you say, the whole of that sequence when they get caught because he wants to prove that he knows the trap and he gets it all wrong. And then him, when she tells him she's pregnant and wants him to give up his... Uh, his life of crime, the way he bears his teeth while he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he um, was Anderson and and the the whole cast and production crew and stuff were quite unlucky with this movie, the way that it fell. Because obviously, like you mentioned, you mentioned where the wild things are and up before mm. it was released two days after where the wild things are. It lost out yeah. at every single award to up yeah and then it had a couple of other big movies to compete with that year as well and it just came with the i think it came out with a um again it was one of these um i don't know i don't think it was rushed but i just think the way it came out was was bad timing uh i think similar to like um, big trouble in little china that we've already discussed that that had a bit of a rush job but it also it was uh bad timing for them as well so I think it would have done a lot better and, and maybe it would have been, I think, mo- maybe a more discussed movie. Because when you came up with it the other week, I was like, oh, that's a bit left field. And I'd never seen it before. Mm. And sure enough, yeah, yeah, I think it's a really good film. Yeah, um, It's just a shame that it hasn't had the coverage it, it should have done. 
one of the reasons that I picked it because I watch it a lot and I know that it's not. I knew, I knew that it flopped when it came out and it's not talked about a lot. I think it suffered from an identity crisis and people weren't sure who it was for. Mm. Wes Anderson's films were already like deeply idiosyncratic and he already had kind of a following. Him doing a kid's film that from the trailers was very clearly a Wes Anderson film. Like you got the sense from the trailer that this was like another Royal Tenenbaums and that was probably compounded mm. by the fact that Spike Jones was making Where the Wild Things Are, which was a kid's book that... Mm. To my memory, no kid had been interested in for about twenty years at that point. Yeah, so it was very clearly being made it was for always adults. Around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, for yeah. instance, I had never read it. Maybe it's bigger in America, but yeah, I'd never read it either. That's the thing with Roald Dahl as well. I think he's he's uh, he's got much more. He's held in much more greater terms of endearment in the UK than he is in the US for sure. Anyway, yeah, and, and they've they've persevered. Well, he's Welsh. Yeah, mm. yeah, he's born in uh, Llandaff. Big up the Flandaf matters. <laughs> I was fortunate to see the uh, the real models close up. They were fantastic. Again, <laughs> just a detail on them. I, I could have just stood there for hours looking at them. They were just so great. They're slightly macabre looking to me. They're, they're almost like taxidermy. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. There's something slightly creepy about them to me, particularly in, in the close-ups of, like you were saying before, of him burying his teeth, like staring. Yeah, that's a yeah. bit, it is a bit... slightly uh, yeah. disconcerting, that sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've grown to love it. But yeah, they're made with real hair, and that means, with stop-motion animation, particularly at this frame rate, which is a lower frame rate than 24, I can't remember, but it's... It's like intentionally low frame rate. 23. <laughs> In the original King Kong, um, the reviews, the 1930s version, one of the reviewers said um, the effects are so amazing that you can see King Kong's hairs moving around when it was just the puppets <laughs> manipulating the, yeah. uh, the puppets. So they um, they took quite a lot of credit for <laughs> something quite accidental. <laughs> Yeah, I bet Wes Anderson knew that and had that in mind because mm. it was his idea that they have real hair and all the human puppets have real hair as well. So, like, I think Petey has uh, Jarvis Cocker's real mm. hair, like a little really? bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing if that's true. His song is great. Yeah. Yeah. He was originally the narrator. Yeah. But test audiences didn't like it. So, mm-hmm. got removed. Yes, they, they got, he got demoted. But you're saying yeah. about the rest of the cast, it's mm. like star-studded. It's, yeah. There's three three Oscar winners and eight Oscar nominees. So it's like, it's a, it's a you know, looking at that, it's on black and white, it's, it's a heavy-hitting film, really, isn't it? If you were just to read out the name of the people there. Yeah, but what I love is, alongside these Oscar winners, you get people like, in big roles like Kylie, is Wally Wolodarski, mm. who was a Simpsons writer and producer. Mm. They hold their own, don't they? Yeah, brilliantly. You couldn't say there was a bad performance in there, really. Yeah. Like the guy who plays Christopherson as well, I hadn't heard of before this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he's very, very good. I enjoyed uh, Michael Jambon as Bean. Yeah. <laughs> he's fantastic. That's how he prefers to pronounce it, by the way. Jambon. <laughs> yeah. Does that just ham? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Willem Dafoe as the rat. Oh, that was one of my yeah. favourite scenes. The first time you meet him in the cider cellar. Yeah. I love yeah. it. It's so stylized, like a 50s movie almost. We see the uh, the bad kid in the leather jacket yeah. with the flick knife. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. Uh, West Side Story, isn't it? The sideways clips. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Eric Chase Anderson plays Christopherson. He's Wes Anderson's brother. Oh, so. uh, yeah. Uh, that is... Nepotism. <laughs> Probably one of my favourite performances in the film is what I was going to say. Beautiful nepotism, baby. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, very apt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just brilliant. I'd just like to share my one of my notes. It's just a one-word note, and it simply says Gambon. Pronounced Jambon. It's like Christophe Lambert. He prefers to call it Jambon, Michael Jambon. Isn't Christophe, it? Christophe Jambon. Christophe Jambon. <laughs> 
Yeah, but uh, but as soon as I heard him, I was like, ah, he's another guy. Here he is. Here he is. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, just love just love hearing his voice straight away. And Brian Cox doing the uh, reporter. Yeah, I've got him down as well. I was like, nice, nice little, nice little uh, cameo for him as well. Brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah. just the just the film that keeps on giving. Really is. Anybody got any favourite moments or lines? My favourite moment. I can't remember whether we uh, recorded it last week, but my as soon as Craig said we're doing fantastic Mr Fox, I went, oh, here we go, with the symmetrical shots and the corduroy, forgetting how it starts. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus Christ, these aerial shots of the field are brown corduroy. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> not, only, not only are they brown corduroy, they are... From Wes Anderson's yeah, Taylor. That's it, yeah. <laughs> they actually took samples, didn't they? And just said, hey, can you give us some of this? And you went, hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Wes Anderson knows who he is and what he is. He's not ashamed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was reading some of the trivia behind that. And I thought that's absolutely nuts. Even the clothing the characters wear as well, isn't it? They, they're all Wes Anderson's suits. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Loved it. That's another thing. That just kept piling on the uh, respect they've got this for this movie. So my favourite piece of wardrobe, though, has to be Ash's bandit hat at the end with the stars on it. <laughs> fucking awesome and cutest moment in the movie. I love that. My kind of highlight throughout the film, and it comes a few times, is Kylie's blank look. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gets me every single time. Yeah. But the first one is just is so good. Yeah. Yeah, with the swirly eyes. I also love how. When characters die, they have the X eyes, like Gaz's yeah, uh, yeah. drawing that he did. <laughs> I did not have stolen that for you, Gaz. <laughs> or vice versa. No, Wes Anderson went into the future, saw Gaz's drawing, then went back yeah. and made that. Uh, of course he did. He got the T-1000 to come into the future, steal it off Gaz and take it back to him. No, no, Wes Anderson uses the power of symmetry to travel through time <laughs> and space. <laughs> He's mastered the power of symmetry. Mastering the power of symmetry also gives you the ability to travel through space and time. Oh, yeah, keep it under your hat, that. (laughs) (laughs) My favourite bit is the sequence with the wolf, and they're just sitting on the motorbike and they're looking at the wolf, and they're like, hey, hey, and it's like... The music in that bit, it plays in my head, like, weekly, and I think about that moment a lot. By the way, score by Alexandre Desplat, fucking phenomenal. Mm. That's great, isn't it? That, that bit in the end, you just think he's the wolf's just going to stand there and he's like, not, and then he just goes, sticks his hand up in a salute yeah. and he's like, yes! I, I literally went, yes! Great. Loved it. Yeah. It's where it comes in the film yeah. as well. You've just had all this, this tension and excitement and mm. it's just this moment of serenity. It's, mm. yeah, it's brilliant. And it's, it, it's Foxy accepting what he is, isn't it? The, the lone wolf yeah. Yeah. runs off to be a lone wolf yeah. and he's he's like, well, that's not me. I'm off with my friends and family. He accepts his actual nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also like the bits where at random points they get, is it Fox and Kylie when they go on the electric fence, they're getting electrocuted and then... <laughs> Yeah. Rat and Fox yeah. having a fight in the in the Transformer room mm. and all that as well. I love I love that kind of animation of the electrocution and stuff like that. It's wicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant. We mentioned the cider scene earlier. Yeah, but there's a part in that that just makes me howl, and that's when Mr. Fox is contorted in the same shape as a side bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's amazing>. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it just looks so uncomfortable, but it's great. And then. Uh... Christopherson talking about her her vision not being able to see. That's really funny. Yeah. Anybody got any uh, favourite lines of dialogue? I do. Badger. <laughs> when they're formulating the plan at the end. I'm a si- I haven't written down the line that precedes it. I'm assuming someone must say, any idea what to do? So Badger says, well, I guess we should split into a certain number of groups and start doing something. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is no there is no prompt line for that. He just says it. Does he? <laughs> yeah. I'll follow them because mine is also from Badger. It's when they're going around listing their skills. Yeah. And Badger goes, Demolitions expert. Yeah. <laughs> and Mr. Fox goes, What? Since when? <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I particularly like 
Look at you, girl. You're still as fine looking as a creme brulee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, perfect. Most of my favorite lines come from Ash. What, first one, early on. You're supposed to be my lab partner. You're disloyal. <laughs> disloyal is such a funny thing to say to someone. It's so cutting. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone's like, uh, what's that? And he goes, what's what? Oh, that? That's nothing. Just some old trophy I went for being an athlete. Let's <laughs> just put it on the table. Yeah. But my favourite moment and line is when he says to his mother, Felicity, but I'm not different, am I? And she says, we all are, especially him, and points to Foxy. <laughs> She's got a few great lines as well, yeah. Yeah, that's such like a genuine moment, though. It's, it's really lovely. I love it. There's another one from her that she says, uh, if what I think is happening is happening... It better not be. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. There's a great Kylie bit as well, which is uh, a reference to uh, Rebel Without a Cause, where Foxy and Felicity have an argument, and he's like, stop, stop, you say one thing, she says another, then it all changes back again. <laughs> it's uh, delivered really well. As we're talking about Kylie, you know the character Kylie was inserted and based on somebody Wes and- in Wes Anderson's life when he moved into yeah. his uh, into his flat or apartment, and there was a handyman living there oh, called really? Kylie. Yeah, <laughs> and eventually Wes Anderson had to kick him out. No way. <laughs> yeah, because he didn't move out when he, yeah. when Wes Anderson moved in; just stayed there. <laughs> he like inherited him from the previous owner, so he stayed there for a while. Yeah. And eventually, he went nah, get out. <laughs> it's great I know there's so many things about this film in the production and stuff that I love it's brilliant okay we're going to be trying out a brand new game this week two truths and a lie I'll explain the rules as you won't be familiar with them I'll tell two true facts about Roald Dahl and one lie and all you'll need to do is identify the lie fact number one when given only six weeks to salvage the screenplay adaptation of his friend Ian Fleming's novel You Only Live Twice, Dahl expressed concern that the book had no plot whatsoever and frantically offered several rejected ideas, including a scene in which Blofeld would torture 007 by imprisoning him in a room in which the furnishings were all placed upside down, an idea he would later recycle for his book The Twits. Fact number two. The section of the 1995 anthology film Four Rooms, which was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, was based on a short story by Roald Dahl called The Man from the South, which had previously been adapted for both Tales of the Unexpected and Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Fact number three. At the time of his death, Dahl had completed the first chapter of a sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory called Charlie in the White House, which sees Willy Wonka and Charlie Bucket meeting the President of the United States. So one of those facts is a lie. The first one's the fake. And the other two are true. Skaz is going with fact number one. Is that the Bond one? The Bond one. That sounded a bit fishy to me too. Fishy. I'm going to say the last one's a fake. The last one. So two of you went for fact number one as the lie. One of you went for fact number three. Nobody interestingly picked... Fact number two. <gasps> and the lie was fact number one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I knew about the third one, to be fair. You should have eliminated yourself from the competition. In all fairness, you should have held your hands up and said, Yeah. I, I can't in good conscience win this. <laughs> I've yes. never done that in my life, and I'll never, ever do it. <laughs> You're not about to stop cheating now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I'm going to call you? Cheater, cheater, dog poo here. Or worse. Or worse. <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox sees the sly protagonist court the wrath of farmers Boggis, Bunce and Bean and his own wife Felicity as he breaks his promise to leave behind his life of crime and carry out one last three-part heist with the aid of his athlete nephew Christopherson and a possum handyman Kylie in an act of midlife crisis that leads to a reconciliation of the differences between those two wolves we all have inside. Out for revenge, Boggis, Bunce and Bean vow to kill Foxy by any and all means necessary while protecting their produce, keeping both a rabid beagle and a psychotic rat to act as watchmen while they throw spaghetti at the wall attempting several failed strategies for fox killing, including 
shooting Foxy, raising his tree home and the cave system beneath it, starving the animals out of hiding, flushing them out of the flint mine with a tsunami of cider, and finally, waiting forever and ever at a sewer manhole to ambush the animals. So, what did we think of their scheme? Lord Manly Supreme, what's the Brox? <laughs> we're thinking middle of the road Brox. Mm-hmm. I think their ideas were, were good. I think they were the ideas that most farmers would go to, especially with the guns, yeah. perhaps with the diggers as well. Yeah. But it wasn't anything spectacular. So I'm giving them a solid seven florets of broccoli. Fair. You can add Neko yeah. there if you like. Uh, it's not. very middle of the road. Yeah. I don't know. Is this one going to fall to me? Or are you reminding yourself to add so, an echo? Whichever one of us. I think I do odd numbers. I do odd numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Note to self, add echo to broccoli. broccoli. <laughs> Guys, what did you make of their, their diabolical plot? Um, it's just, it's quite ineffectual, isn't it? It's, um, what was the other film? Where I was saying, oh, fuck that up, what, fuck that up. No, <laughs> like, like, like Ben said, it, it, I was standing on the rakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Sideshow Bob. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is stuff that a farmer would do, in all fairness, but yeah. I, I just think that an actual farmer would probably be more effective. And I'm pretty sure my beagle would, would catch Foxy and rip him to shreds quite, quite sharpish. Just set the beagle on him. Uh, That's not my plan. <laughs> How have you trained your dog to be so nasty? It's wired into them. Right into a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The hound dogs. Ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> Eating blueberries all the time. Speaking of blueberries, while I was doing my three truths and a lie thing, I found a plot synopsis for Charlie in the White House. And one of the things he said was that Wonka was Wonkifying America. So you build unmeltable chocolate houses for the homeless and turn US soldiers into bouncing blueberries. But it turned out that it was just some bullshit someone had made up and not anything rolled dollar written. So I, after writing loads of stuff about it, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fell into the old blueberry trap, did you? <laughs> Imagine that, co- coming over the top, just a fucking a row of bouncing blueberries. Yeah. The fear you must feel, seeing them charge towards you, screaming. Well, the, the worst thing you can do with when you have blueberries in your possession is fall into uh, a pit of gorillas, isn't it? As we well know from uh, from uh, Team America, Will Police, his brother fell into a, a, a gorilla's enclosure with blueberries in his pocket. <laughs> you got anything to add to that, Turner? Any thoughts on their, on their plot? Um, yeah, I, uh, like similar to what Gav said, they've used the similar farmer tricks, but I would have thought the farmers, after a couple of goes, they would have gone, right, this is not working. This fox is basically like the fox equivalent of Einstein. So how the <laughs> fuck are we going to get ourselves rid of this little fucker? <laughs> <laughs> and there's your quote. You're <laughs> <laughs> nailing it every week, week in, week out. Okay, now regular as clockwork. <laughs> well, uh, he is, isn't he? He's, you know, yeah. no, no farmers encountered a fox as smart as this guy, and um, they just bang their heads against a brick wall essentially by by using the same yeah. old the same old things. I think the I think what Gal said there about beagles is true. I think the the, the beagles are well underused. And the only time a beagle is introduced and it actually poses a danger, it's it's Mister Fox that does it. He kind of is his own worst enemy in that case. Right. Apart from the cider thing, they're all lifted right out of the book, right? So I think a lot of the reason that all of these things are the things that they do and fail the way they do is because Roald Dahl really didn't like people like that. He didn't like hunters. He didn't like inhumane killing of, of animals. In terms of the, the subtext of the story, he had, by this point, sort of he, he'd lost one child to yeah. measles mm. and another had water on the brain so that that whole side of it the you know the family side of it was was to do with that but all the stuff to do with the farmers i think he just really didn't like th- those classes of people so mm. um, yeah it's good that's another element to it isn't it it's very very pro yeah. fox pro 
pro uh, pro life if you want really mm. I suppose it's, yeah it's, it's definitely that's all over it and well I remember it from the book anyway it definitely being from a fox's standpoint rather than you know, you read books when you're a kid, and it's always the fox is a baddie. Yeah. You know, the gi- the gingerbread man, he gets eaten by the fox, doesn't he? He crosses the river on the fox's back. Right. And he gets him to move up onto his head and, and stuff like that. And then the chicken licking gets eaten by the mm. fox. Fox is a uh, fox den, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So and all that. And this is, yeah, it stands apart nicely there, doesn't it? Tails. Tails in Sonic. Uh, oh, yeah, he's, he's a good yeah, He's evil. Yeah. He's not evil, is he? He's just a prick, isn't he? Yeah, just trying to, he's just trying to steal Sonic's thunder, isn't he? Sonic! <laughs> this is the part of the show where the panel of peril compete for the title of this week's most diabolical. Up for grabs is two points for the winner, which will go towards the series leaderboard. As host this week, I'm at home advantage, so if my plan wins, though, I only get one point. Ha <laughs> ha. Boggis, Bunce and Bean wanted to kill the fantastic Mr. Fox and they tried various ways to do it, but they failed. So, what would you have done differently, Adam? He's a wily, wily old fox, Mr. Fox, constantly thinking outside the box. Whether it's drugging a beagle or poor, poor Smeagol, his favourite apple is a cox. Boom. That it. (laughs) <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Quit while you're ahead. <laughs> yeah, true story. <laughs> Boggis, Bunts and Bean, who shall henceforth be called Triple B, <laughs> cannot rid themselves of Mr. Fox by conventional farming methods. Triple B should use some more experimental means, namely biological and chemical warfare. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking mustard gas in Mr. Fox. Bit of a kill. But not in the way you expect. They begin working on making large sheds on each of their farms, telling the locals and media outlets they will simply outproduce the losses they are making due to the interventions of the fox. However, that's not entirely accurate. While Triple B do intend to increase the size of their flocks, that is not necessarily in a numerical sense. No. Instead... They employ the services of a renowned chemical scientist, George Cranky, who has had a remarkable career since creating a medicine for his horrid grandmother at the age of eight years old, which he first tested on his father's chickens. Recreating his miraculous medicine for Triple B, but with a few tweaks here and there. Next time Mr. Fox visits the farms, curious to see what Triple B have been up to, He breaks into one of the new sheds. Inside the huge shed, there isn't thousands upon thousands of delicious chickens ripe for the eating. Nope, you've guessed it. There are 20 meter high chickens rippling with muscles. Mr. Fox soils himself on the spot. (laughs) As he turns to run, the chickens react with lightning speed and pounce on him with their huge claws. The largest chicken, we'll call him Keith, mocks Mr. Fox as he squeezes him in his clutches. For too long, you foxes have been scoffing my kind and suffered no consequences other than the occasional bout of indigestion, which was my own fault. The time of the chicken has come. With that, Keith chucks Mr. Fox in the air and he and his missus, Marjorie, grab an end each and pull Mr. Fox apart, spilling his entrails onto the floor. With Fox dead and his friends and family scared off by their mutant chickens, Triple B can resume their farming without hinder. Shortly after Mr. Fox meets his demise at the beaks of the chickens, Triple B detonates explosives embedded within the foundations of their large sheds to prevent the giant chickens embarking on a wave of indiscriminate terror across the globe. My question to you is in the news recently has been the freakish, muscly chickens uh, that Lidl have been producing yeah. and mm-hmm. selling. Yeah. 
to yeah. these little chickens? <laughs> no, I just, I was like, I toyed with a few ideas. I was going to go down the route of um, gentrification of an area, actually, because he's, at the start of the film, he's he's, he's keen on um, levelling up, isn't he, and buying himself a better house mm. and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, he's being poor. maybe, maybe yeah. I'll make him a nice house and stuff like that. But then I thought, no, how can I fight Dahl with Dahl? And uh, that's when I took um, old George and his... Uh, Fight Dahl with yeah. Dahl. <laughs> that's it. His, that's yeah. like, uh, you want to kill Roald Dahl, you make yeah. him a really spicy curry. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it seems Dahl has been killed by the very Dahl <laughs> that he's eaten. <laughs> I only have had one question, and yeah. it was, when the chicken was speaking, did he refer yeah. to himself as the chick-king? With a G on the end, Ooh, like the king of chickens. No, but if I do a rewrite, that will definitely be included. Yeah, thank you for that. I'll, I think I improved I'll, it. I'll, I heard Chick King I'll, and I thought, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll put written by Adam Turner, screenplay by Adam Turner and Craig Morris. Just because <laughs> I... So my, my only comments are, would the chickens, would they know to attack the fox? Or would they rather be wandering around their giant sheds going, why am I so massive? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if somebody Very was going to bring that up. Good for you, Ben. Well, I was <laughs> I was thinking about Partridge when you said yeah. it, but yeah, I couldn't remember any of the lines. <laughs> it kind of inspired me because I thought I can get I can get two for the price of one. Then I can get like a Partridge-ish <laughs> reference, and hopefully somebody will say something, which somebody has. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but I can I can get in another doll novel as well. So I was like, it's win-win essentially. I did wonder if anybody would would rope in any other doll novels because that, that was my first train of thought as well. So my other comment was uh, you mentioned the chicken's claws uh, famously. The chickens have large talons. They've got, yeah, well, when they're, when they're 20 metres high, they could easily grab a fox. Uh, talons? The chickens The chickens have large talons. Ta- I don't know. They're not talons, are they? They're just because they, they've got talons, haven't they? Got, He's like, retractable doing Napoleon claws. Dynamite. Fucking hell, Turner. <laughs> I haven't seen that film in a long time, sorry. Well, maybe it'll come up. It's a family favourite. <laughs> Who would be the villain in Napoleon Dynamite? Uncle Rico. Yeah, that's why I haven't picked it, sadly. <laughs> Uncle Rico throwing that steak at him when he's riding his bike. <laughs> Jesus. But that's already perfect because he hits him. <laughs> yeah. <So>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uncle Rico wanted to knock Napoleon off his bike. Well, he did. <laughs> well, that'd be our first 13 point plan, I think. <laughs> Okay, Lord Mighty Supreme, can we have your plan next, please? Oh, you can, you can. So, after several weeks of planning involving chocolate ice cream and cannibalism, or hoodwinking <laughs> miners into midnight trips to graveyards, I spent up to 12 minutes wrestling with my conscience over this one. Could I really bring myself to execute something as charming and downright lovable as Mr. Fox? And if I didn't, what would the panel of peril and our peril pals think of me? especially as you've all come to expect a certain level of cold, calculating brilliance from me. Hey, but that's my cross to bear. (laughs) I wandered the streets with my own fox-like dog at my side, agonising over the decision. How could I, a human, kill a poor foxy-woxy? And then it hit me. Human. Humane. You reek! Making appropriate use of my smart telephone, I onlined and then search engine for the worldwide website of the Humane Society. Here's what I discovered. If you need a fox family to move, here are a few humane harassment options. Tip one, place urine-soaked kitty litter or a sweat-soaked t-shirt in or near the den opening. So I would immediately fill a concrete mixer with one metric ton of kitty litter. (laughs) It has to be a metric ton as I'd like to avoid any imperial entanglements. (laughs) that's the real trick isn't it I then throw a premium cider rager for my farmer pals encouraging them to urinate and defecate into the mixer Bunce's exclusive diet of goose liver donuts would be a real boon here the next morning I turn on the mixer and head up to the tree once there I dump the foul concoction right in the den opening as instructed by our good friends at the Humane Society and for good measure I'd fire in some of Boggs's sweaty old t-shirts via a t-shirt cannon. Tip two. Use noise-making devices such as transistor radios. I would then switch on my radio 
which would be connected to a large PA system and tuned to the loudest of all radio stations. Kerrang! <laughs> Tip three. Mount shiny party balloons on sticks or poles a few feet off the ground, just outside the den entrance. So, while the foxes desperately try to flee the fetid throng of farmer feculents and thrash metal, they'd run straight between two rows of birthday balloons, set up like a corridor to lead them far, far away from our farms. Tip 4. Spread capsicum-based granular repellent around the den entry as they stagger through the distressing corridor of colourful party fun, the foxes would hear pop after pop as my men burst the balloons dispersing the cayenne pepper concealed inside. With the foxes now so disoriented, afraid and lightly spiced, the most humane thing would be to put them out of their misery, which I would do happily with my newly acquired Holland & Holland Nitro Express elephant gun. And I would sleep soundly that night, knowing that I treated these noble animals with nothing but dignity and respect. Right, the biggest question I've got there is, really, aren't you torturing them until they have a very quick death in the end? <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't really very, very humane. <laughs> it started out humane and I thought, yeah, if I do all these things, I may as well just put them out of yeah. misery. <laughs> so that was my thought, thought process. Dumping a ton of kitty litter that people have shit and pissing <laughs> outside the thing, forcing them to move on. <laughs> That's fucking horrendous. That is genuinely the advice in the humane society. And I just thought their advice is one thing, but the way you've uh, enacted that in your own practice, yeah, it. interpreted it is is depraved to say the least. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll take that as a, a, a very hearty compliment. Did you say at the end there as well? You'd use an elephant gun. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that just well, I tell you what, <laughs> into absolute smithereens, surely. It'd just be a smear on the floor. <laughs> Yeah, that's well, it. Well, they won't be stealing from me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could certainly say that's going to get rid of them. I suppose they wouldn't feel anything, would they? No. <laughs> well, they'd feel massively depressed. <laughs> My question would be, could you demonstrate for us either urinating or defecating into a cement mixer right now? <laughs> Full of kitty litter. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it's easy because all you need is a ladder, right? I'd like to try. I don't know. Have you ever tried shitting off a ladder? <laughs> Not off a ladder. I've done it off a bridge. <laughs> you can go in the back of the hole at the back of the cement mixer and just hold onto the rim as you spin round. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're amazing. I famously did it off a bridge into the river in Plan TH. So that was mission accomplished. And nobody noticed. <laughs> Sorry, residents of Plan TH. <laughs> oh, look, it's an otter. Oh, wait a minute. That's not an otter. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Gaz, it's time for your plan. Everybody take a breath. Yeah, what nonsense have we got lined up this week? Is it going to be a different Bolivia this week or another South American country? It's not that bad this week. <laughs> Bean looks, sounds and acts like a bit of a South London villain. The kind of man who would have connections, unsavoury connections that match or exceed his villainous stature. He's also clearly a man of means thanks to his cider empire, and so procuring the services of a villain who exceeds his own villainous stature should not be terribly difficult. Throughout the course of the fantastic Mr. Fox, Buggis, Bunts and Bean's attempts to use technology are unsuccessful. And if any of the Panel of Peril's plans feature that element, then they are clearly shit. Absolutely <laughs> shit. <laughs> what Bean should have done is use his connections to seek out a creature from the animal kingdom, specifically a cryptid. For those unaware, a cryptid is a creature from the animal kingdom that has yet to be accepted by mainstream science, but is believed by cryptozoologists to exist in the wild. Think Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, etc. <laughs> but the creature that I'm enlisting is the Beast of Bodmin Moor. His origin has never been fully established. Some say he's a panther who escaped from a local zoo. Others, that he is an alien big cat dropped off on planet Earth by aliens. But one thing's for sure, he is big, he is a cat, and he is for hire. That's three things to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Once Bean has put the word out that he'll pay Beastie, as he's known to his friends and peers, a handsome sum to be rid of Mr. Fox, Christopherson and all the gang, the man himself arrives in whatever the hell town this film is supposed to be set in. 
He wears a nice tweed flat cap, has a shotgun slung over his shoulder, and naturally wears a corduroy suit in finest, deepest brown. His fee is a year's supply of Frey Bentos tinned flaky pastry steak pies plus <laughs> £450,000. The pies are the real deal breaker here, though. Make no mistake. <laughs> Beastie is a cat of means, but for some reason, he has a real aversion to food shopping, preferring to include it in his fee whenever he takes a job. He's just that kind of guy. <laughs> Beastie loads two shells into the shotgun, spins the weapon around like Arnold in Terminator 2, and hands it to Bean. Keep hold of this for me whilst I mull these sods, he says. <laughs> he then produces a katana, nunchucks, bow staff, basically all of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles weapons, and also hands them to Boggis and Bunts for safekeeping. Also, Swiss Army knife, firecrackers, and a small packet of playing cards that presumably came in a Christmas cracker. <laughs> Shouldn't take long, the obsidian feline intones before trotting off down by the tree home that Foxy bought at the start of the film. Boggis, Bunts and Beans stand there looking a bit thick for a minute before Beastie begins dragging a screaming Mr. Fox from his hole. One of his arms has been severed and his face has been clawed awfully so that he can't see out of one of his eyes. <laughs> screaming he is, ah, my cussing arm! Flailing around like an absolute loon, blood everywhere, it really is quite the sight. My katana please, Bunts or Boggis, I don't know which man is which, says our hirsute hitman. Upon being handed the blade... Beastie promptly slices a lemon in two, which I forgot to mention he had in his pocket, and squeezes it into Foxy's wounds. <laughs> ho ho ho! That does not go down well at all. Not one bit. Then he kills him using whatever means you like, really. He can say, cowabunga dude, like a TMNT, and use one of those guys' weapons. He can use the shotgun, or he can just stamp him to death, whichever you fancy. Just remember, Beast of Bob Moore. That's the thing, just Google him. <laughs> Stamped to death, I'll go with. It's actually cruel if I pick this apart. So all I'll go with is how long would it take for Mr. Fox and his friends to run up a bill of £450,000 worth of food that they've stolen versus paying that to the beast? I'm going to ignore all the rest of it just to be kind to you because it's foolish. Price is no object to them. I think they have cold black hearts and they just want to punish the fox by any means necessary. Okay, so it's more about revenge for them than mm. the value of the... That's right. Okay, accepted. <laughs> you could probably say the same about all of the digging equipment they get as well, right? That probably yeah. isn't worth a very small amount. Rent a digger, a couple hundred a day. You know, it's not 450 grand. Yeah. They've got the big excavators though, haven't they? And they they must be... I don't know. They must be way, way more than a couple hundred quid. I'm not comparing it to the <laughs> 450 grand. I'm, I'm weighing it against the monetary value of the chickens that Foxy has taken. Right. Even then, probably wouldn't be worth doing what they do. Are there many big cats that are famously diggers? I can't think of any off the top of my head. That are famously diggers? Yeah. Hmm. Are we thinking that the foxes can just dig their way out of trouble here, away from the beast of Bob Moore? Well, I'm just thinking cats that go underground in tunnels. I can't think of any. No. Yeah. House cats will. I don't know about big cats. But this is a special big cat, of course. He's a hitman. <laughs> He's a professional. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Cheerfully withdrawn. <laughs> he would get a tuxedo on, a wetsuit over the top, put a duck on his head and go swimming across the bay if he had to. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to avoid having to go in the shops. But how, how does he cook his um, Frey Bentos pies then? Not sure. How do you cook them? <laughs> Stick it in the oven. Oh, there you go. Then he sticks it in the oven. Apparently, they're called lonely pies because mostly single lonely men eat them. Yeah. I've so I guess it kind of fits for him as a single lonely hitman. I've been single. Never, never quite been lonely enough. <laughs> no, not, ne never strayed into Frey Bentos territory. No. no. <laughs> Eating a few tins of cold beans, but never Frey Bentos. <laughs> Theoretically, could you eat a Frey Bentos straight from the tin? Or do you have to bake it? Probably. I, 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 you know, I, I wouldn't want to. I reckon you could, yeah. I think uh, it's one of those part-baked deals. Mm. How could it still be edible? I don't know. I, I can't imagine... Why would you only part-bake it? That's annoying. It's convenient for the customer, isn't it? Because <laughs> then they don't have to fully bake it. Well, it'd be more convenient if you baked it fully and I could just eat it from a can. Yeah... We need to do some yeah. research on Frey Bentos. I think we're dreadfully under-researched here. 
Mm. I like the way that Frey Bentos is taking up the majority of our questioning with Gus's plan. <laughs> <laughs> we should actually stop here and then just ring Frey Bentos and say, do you want to do a segment on our show? Let's just record it anyway, and then we'll tell them we've got one, and we can use it if they want to pay us in pies. Yeah, we could say, have you had a Frey Bentos pie recently, Lord Manly Supreme? Whenever I get home from work and it's been a long day and I just do not feel like cooking, I just reach into the cupboard and I pull out a Frey Bentos fucking pie. <laughs> and I eat it straight from the can. I don't even I cook that motherfucker. <laughs> but if it's part-baked, then I will, I will put it in an oven. But if it's ready to eat, then I will just eat it. I'll do one of those two things depending on what the pie needs. If you get home and you you open the cupboard and then the pie is already cooked, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> that pie just cooked itself? It's steaming as well. It's really weird. Delicious cold pie with no base and just the fucking like hard, uh, puff moist, pastry puff crust. pastry lid that hasn't uh, been uh, puffed up. They don't have a base? No. I didn't realise that. I don't know. I don't think so. No, just the lid and then meat and shit. You get that in some restaurants, don't you? You get you get a pie and it just comes in in the bowl and then it's got a, a crust. Yeah, <laughs> but they call yeah. it pie. Yeah, it's false advertising. Really, you could sue them. Lazy pies. That's what I call them. Yeah. Lazy pies. Lazy. Yeah. Fuck Frey Benos. Have a lazy pie from Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Time for my plan. Bristol City Council, the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, Hastings Environmental Health, BBC Wildlife and even the UK government website all feature excellent resources and tips for managing fox incursions on your property. For example, one of the reasons foxes choose their habitat is soft soil, which cubs use to practice digging, as evidenced by the skill of both Christopherson and Ash. So the farmers may wish to consider addressing this in the long term. However, in the short term, there's a need to get rid of Foxy expeditiously, and for that, we look to the fox's keen sense of smell. Odours known to drive foxes away include vinegar, which can be sprayed on your garden to deter them. However, there is a more pungent and instinctually frightening smell to the fox, and that is the urine of another male fox. This is why I propose that having caught Christopherson, rather than leaving him locked in an apple crate begging for water, we water him a lot. Get him well and truly pissed on gallons and gallons of alcoholic apple cider until he pisses his pants at least once. <laughs> then fill him up with some more cider and then let him loose. He's been dying to tell these foxes off for years. Especially Ash. No, you shush. It's my turn, right? Now. And another thing. Repeat until he has covered the three farms in piss and wave goodbye to that pesky Mr. Fox. Oh yeah, also, get him to piss on your own chest so it ruins your necktie. <laughs> Mr. Fox kills himself, naturally. <laughs> Craig, I put it to you that your original plan featured heavily with technology. When Gaz said technology is shit, you quickly scribbled that down based on my urine plan. Yes, I love technology. <laughs> I think uh, you've secretly incorporated something you quite like doing into your plan, mm -hmm. particularly the end part. Being pissed on on my chest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's all you wanted. You've been storing this planet for ages. And you thought, <laughs> what's the best film? You knew, you knew it wasn't going to come from any of us. You thought, how can, I, and how can I work this into a movie? And you thought, well, Fox Piss. Uh, oh, yeah, fucking hell, I can get it into Fantastic Mr. Fox. There we go. You won't know We've when, but it. I promise you there will be another plan that I will do in season two that will involve being pissed on. <laughs> 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 so look forward to that. Parapels. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> if that doesn't keep him coming back, nothing will. <laughs> Some truly diabolical schemes there, but there can be only one winner, or possibly two. <laughs> it's time to cast your votes, and please remember, you may not vote for yourself. I have voted for Lord Manly Supreme. I have voted for Adam. I have also voted for Adam. And I have voted for Adam. Unanimous! Oh, Adam's unanimous. the winner My this first week. win! Yay! 
Oh yeah! All right. So, Gaz, how has that affected the season two leaderboard? In first place with five points is Craig. In joint second place with three points is Adam and myself, Gaz. And (laughs) bringing up the rear is Lord Manly Supreme with two points. Yay! Good. Wow. It's kind of good because I've always wanted to be uh, unappreciated in my own time. So (laughs) in the future, when historians (laughs) uncover this, they'll they'll give it a listen and go, this guy was a freaking diabolical genius and he should have won. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so next week, Gaz will be hosting. And what are you going to put us through? (laughs) (laughs) For my next pick, I've decided the sort of films that we've been having in this season so far that it's time for me to... To go big or go home. And I'm already home, so I suppose I've got to go big. So <laughs> next week, we're going to be discussing The Dark Knight. Ooh. Oh. Very Spicy. big. Very big indeed. Excellent. That about does it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. Leave us a review on the very platform on which you're currently listening. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod. Next week, we'll be competing to improve on the diabolical plan of the Dark Knight. Until then, here's to our survival. I was only I was only like uh, eleven or twelve. I wasn't doing otter size shit. Well, that point. you probably were. <laughs> I tell you what, my lad, he's only seven, and he, he rat size. He say. does monster shits right now. Absolute monster <laughs> shits. Scary. If you bumped into one of his turds down an alley, you'd fucking run a mile. <laughs> I'm just picturing the scene the scene of Jaws in in the uh, Rio Carnival coming down the alley. <laughs> Big <a> turd <laughs> like that. <laughs>